Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. My name is Matthew DeMello. I am senior editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest is Eigen Technologies CEO, Louis Liu. Eigen is an intelligent document processing platform specializing in helping organizations transform documents into any form of data. He joins us on today's program to talk about unstructured data in legacy systems and intelligent document processing as a means of quote unquote, waking up that information. Throughout our conversation, we differentiate these technologies from existing hype around large language models in financial services and put a finer point on where we'll be seeing crossovers between these capabilities. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Lewis, thanks so much for being with us on the program. Thank you, Matthew. It's a real privilege to be here. So when we think about the financial services sector and the challenges, I think at this point in technology where we see kind of how to treat documents and a lot of text-based data is that you know paper is just another format for which you have data storage and maybe looking at things at that way puts a finer point on where things are going especially now that we have capabilities not just in terms of having technology that can scan a whole document know exactly what's inside it know exactly how to respond and be able to integrate all that data at an efficient rate to the entire organization, you know, that's also interfacing with other mediums and other ways of interacting with customers. And that's just becoming just another way by which you touch the customer, just like kind of customer service. Where do you see the challenges there, especially in making that transition of that mindset? I think that the way to think about this is if you look at the typical banking or, you know, asset management infrastructure, data infrastructure, about 80 to 90% of that data is unstructured, right? And, and, and again, we say that, that that data is useless. It's, it's in a format that is human compatible, but not necessarily machine compatible. And so I'm, I'm a big Star Trek geek, right? <laughs> and in and, and, and Star Trek, there's this thing called a universal translator, right? And, and effectively, we need to find some kind of universal translator for data formats. And specifically in the unstructured data world where, frankly, a lot of financial institutions sit, we need to transform documents, which is probably the, the most voluminous type of unstructured data, into structured usable data. It's some kind of universal translator between them. Right, right. And in, in such a way, especially now that we see... We've had a couple of folks on the program before talking about LLMs and ChatGPT, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this new influence. I mean, I think this puts a finer point on it's it's not just paper, it's text and it's language that you have to think about as the data to procure, no matter where it's coming from. I think there's this kind of like bias towards paper. And you were touching on it before in your last answer of, you know, and this is for a reason, paper tends to be really hard to pull out from. Yeah. But that's become easier but, over the last couple of years, too. It's, it's not actually just language. So I think what you, you know, you're saying, you know, what are the biggest challenges of transforming any document into structured usable data? Let's consider a, a typical loan, a typical credit deal that a typical bank does, right? This is what banks right. do. They, they give out loans. In terms of the types of documents that are ascribed to a loan, you would have your master loan agreement, you would have amendments, you would have right. schedules, you would have notices, and all of these documents need to be linked together. And then you may get emails about, you know, 
loan drawdowns, you know, interest rate changes, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so even a single deal, you might have tens or hundreds of documents that you need to pull together and, and actually link these documents together. And it's not just that. If you look at the documents themselves, th- they can be very lengthy. And they're not just language. They're legalese. They right. are financial language, which a normal, you know, large language model like ChatGPT cannot handle. They also, you know, large language models also struggle with really long documents as well from a compute cost perspective. And even if you are able to fully understand the language, these documents also have visual language as well. Like as a human, we look at a chart, we look at a table, and it's easy for us to understand. We, you know, but actually for a machine. You, you need to actually not only use natural language processing, which is very mm-hmm. hot right now in the AI space. <laughs> of course. But you also need machine vision. You know, the, the type of you know, technology that people use for you know, self-driving cars, right? right? You also need a, need a subset of that kind of technology as well to understand the visual language of a document. So that's why I'm saying there's so many different types of human language that actually intersects in a document. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is something... We had a guest on the show from Intel doing deep fake detection. So mm-hmm. the the video de- depicts what you think is a real human and it has to has yeah. to really tell. And same thing with the vision aspect of, you know, you, you have to go into the, the language, but then it's literally becoming body language that we're observing. And we and we get the same thing in documents, right? Where like, you know, most often in this type of document, this kind of data is going to be in this general area. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's not much logic to that other than that's where banks have put it since the I, dawn I, actually, of time. Hit actually, me, hit me really, if I'm wrong on that. No, no. I, I love the body language point. Yeah, actually. yeah. So, so, so just like if you're doing a detection of body language, there's, there's the body language with the visual cues mm-hmm. that the human picks up. Right. And then there is the actual words that right. uh, someone is saying, and you need to put it together. And a document is very similar, right? There's the actual language, in, uh, wow. the, you know, the legalese of the text, as well as the visual cues that sprinkle on top. Right. Right. And right. you need to put those two together to actually get the final meaning. And sometimes with the data they want to get out, and some documents might be written in yeah. human language, and some documents is just a little annotation in a chart. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the challenge of intelligent document processing, IDP, is actually, in the AI world, we call it a multimodal problem. It is a problem that is both of AI around language and AI around visuals. And that's something that we've spent a lot of time figuring out. So even if you have the best, let's say you have like GPT-10, it is still a a single-mode AI of language. You need to combine that with visual elements as well right right now i almost wonder if kind of your next wave of interaction like for what for what chap gbt wants to be it's almost like they're going to need a webcam you know if they really want to understand you know the other side of the table but I, i'll leave that to our friends at OpenAI to consider we're gonna we're gonna hang out in in, in finserve especially intelligent document processing but just to what you were saying in terms of, you know, the, this this comparison between body language and documents, part of the reason I, I was kind of making that broad assumption before about a uh, about a lot of financial forms is uh, one of the last places I worked was a, a global tax agency that led the world in a certain form of international tax called transfer pricing that I won't bo- that I won't bore you with other than to say this company developed the paperwork that is now the industry standard, like how how transfer pricing reports are put together 
was something they pioneered 20 years ago. And they would tell me very often enough, it's just like we just did, we placed these things out of our own convenience, not typically where they are in financial forms, you know, and now we've seen the whole industry move this way. So there is this, there's not a ton of logic behind it. It is a lot of like, you know, centuries of adjusting to very solid documentation, but it is just at the end of the day, herd mentality and training a computer to basically get all those nuances that, you know, kids maybe in in business school or in their first internships get from seeing documents over and over and over again. But actually, on this point, in, in the financial services world, the finance and also insurance sure. are special insofar as the products that they offer are, you know, they're not tangible, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. money. The products they offer are money. And the money gets transcribed in document format as contracts, right? And so fundamentally, what a bank is selling its customers are contracts, loans, mortgages, deposits. They are contracts. And at the end of the day, it is, you know, the, the legal world is still dictated by contracts. And so I often joke that a bank is nothing more than a pile of contracts in a sophisticated or sometimes unsophisticated IT system wrapped around it, which is why in the financial services world, the problem around intelligent document processing is so acute. Yes. Yes. And we'll, we'll emphasize that strictly from a data perspective, that's, that's what yeah. a bank looks like. It is, right. <laughs> but, but I, I, I take it a lot of our listeners long-time listeners to the program are used to kind of like, you know, from, you know, from this perspective, here is the bare bones and maybe, maybe those depictions not being so flattering, but yeah, no, in, in the sense of the contracts, I mean, is it just a matter of time before we get to a point where LLMs have enough context? Like just considering that contracts are built the same way from kind of my, my late knowledge of, of law, it's all, especially in the West kind of based on, you know, English common law and torts. You know, to to a point, I know you, you you know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Into into finance, you know, there's a basis for all this, and it it, it just seems to me yeah. like you don't need much to train a model on, even if it you know the models aren't quite there yet. So interestingly, there's a report that just came out about GPT four, mm-hmm. right? About yeah. how well can GPT four analyze contracts? And it was actually, people were surprisingly disappointed about GPT-4's ability to Mm. parse contracts. Now, here's the thing that can like pass the LSATs, (laughs) that can can crush the SATs. But why can it, what did it struggle with a a simple NDA? Actually, they're happy to share with you the the results of this. And and, and there are two, couple of reasons why. I think think the first is that these are longer documents, and from a compute cost perspective, you know, the large language models you know, like smaller, shorter prompts. Number two, you know, these large language models are trained on general, sort of call it internet text. Legalese is specific. Of course, you can train specific mm-hmm. legal yep. language models. And I think, I think the, th- the, the, the third reason is that there is a, in order to use these large language models properly, right? You, you see a lot of businesses being built around these large language models. There's, there's actually a lot of engineering layering that needs to happen to get the prompt to the right place. And, and this was just sort of really quickly trying to put something yeah, together because yeah. you know, GPT-4 just came out. So, so I think being able to analyze contracts with large language models 
So the question is, I think that it's, we need to treat it as a component. Like we use large language models as a component of our overall analysis of language, but it is not, it is, I would say it's maybe a 20% component. There's a whole infrastructure around it that you need to get to, to actually get to that precise point in the document that you need to get to, especially when dealing with legalese and financial language. If I can make a comparison to glasses, a comparison to glasses might be just because, you know, this technology is new and fundamentally the same thing as a telescope doesn't mean when you wear them, you can see Jupiter, even if it gives you 2020 vision. That's a great. That's exactly right. That's right, exactly right, right, right. It is fundamentally the same technology as a telescope. And we don't we, you know, we, I guess maybe a, a better point to say where we are at this point of technology is the lay public is has been brought in to the room. This is couldn't be more zeitgeist. This is like the Beatles of technology having an Ed Sullivan moment with with which at GPT and all of its you know LLMs implications across sectors all at the same time, you know, this audience does not understand the difference between, you know, a glasses and a telescope yet, especially. I think that's a really good analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's especially really as, as, as bespoke models go. F- fi- really focusing in on what you're saying about machine vision in, in IDP and really focusing in on where we're going to move paper over to the digital space. Where do we see human supervision, you know, of the technology? Mm-hmm ultimately going into the future? Yep. Really, really great question. So last year, I I believe this was last year, the Bank of England issued a report about the use of large neural network models in the banking space. Mm -hmm. I think they were able to find maybe only one or two live use cases across all the banks that they supervised. And, And this sort of obviously relates here because I think from a regulatory perspective, one of the biggest challenges is when we're processing people's money and we're processing financial products, I think, you know, and we just saw what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and, and Credit Suisse. The regulatory bar, right, to make sure that you get an answer right when you're processing these documents is much, much, much higher than, right. say, booking a restaurant. And so as a result, Banks have exceptionally rigorous model risk management protocols and model governance protocols protocols to ensure that if you are using any of these large language models or you know large vision models, that there is a level of human supervision and a level of confidence sort of assessment framework. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is going to be even more important as we move into the era of mm-hmm. large language models and of larger machine learning models. Because, you know, one of the biggest downsides of large language models is that they call, they hallucinate, e.g. they actually make up answers that don't exist, you know, the same way humans actually might just make up answers that don't exist. Right. Right? Like, and, and that is something that needs to be really highly looked at from a product development perspective, something that we've, we've, yeah. we've that's the solution, but yeah. It, it's, a, it, it's worth putting a finer point on what we mean by hallucinations because these comparisons to actual mental health only go so far and only work so well. Mm-hmm. So hallucination, as I understand it, actually lays bare kind of what the technology does instead of understand anything, which is it it tries to guess what is a right answer to whoever's asking. That's what it really does. 
and why why that's such a big difference is that puts a finer point on on how it's only fed a certain context and is only going to give you an answer based on that context. What a hallucination is is where you've kind of asked a question that kind of goes beyond the amount that's of information that actually, you've given it. Actually, I'll give you a very explicit example sure. of this. So we are experimenting with GPT three and now GPT four cool. on trying to extract. ESG sort of guidelines on an annual reports, right? So, so the prompt is you, 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 you try to parse the annual report in such a way that GPT, the GPT API can ingest the parts of the annual report. It, it can't do the whole thing because it's too large, right? Right. And it will cost us a fortune. So we, we, we parse it. <laughs> and then we ask the question like, you know, you know, what are the ESG guidelines for this company? And you get the result and you're like, oh yeah, this is this this makes a lot of sense. It is very, very clear. Someone wants to liken a chat GPT or GPT to mansplaining as a service. I can see why. It's like <laughs> that that is really right. Clear. Right. The difference it's, between you you're expecting it to be a teacher. The public has has that in mind, like this godly power. No, it really exactly. is just a mansplainer. That really is and, all. And, it can and, do. and then when you actually look at the results, you're like, this makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're like, wait a minute. Half of these answers are not actually in the annual report. They're just like generic ESG commitments made by generic companies. Right. Um, right. And the other half were actually pretty accurate. But if you're dealing with regulatory, a regul- regulated entity, and that's the result you get, that is not okay. Right, right. So for some use cases, I think there's amazing out-of-the-box applicability of, of the large language models. Yeah. And, and in cases like this, you need to completely rethink your framework. Right, right. Especially if 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 that's going to be the means by how, say, employees are interacting, say, with like kind of a central data repository, you know, mm-hmm. like, it, no, this technology is still a little clunky for that. But I want to go back to what you're saying about SVB, everything that's kind of happened over the weekend. Like, I think an expression everybody's running towards from Warren Buffett is this thing about how in, you know, tough banking climates, the tide's going out and you're seeing everybody who who's not wearing a bathing suit. You know, it, it seems as though where you see the potential for AI really in, in, in this kind of environment is to give you what kind of bathing suit are you wearing underneath yep. that shoreline as it's going out in real time? Because that's not actually something like a, a bank has done incredibly well from a from a tech perspective, you know, going back through the history of banking. No, like we've never expected banking executives to know their exact position in real time. But so, that's becoming an expectation. That's right. So I liken this to there's this fantastic scene in a big short, which I'm sure most of the audience here have seen. Yes where Michael Berry, played by Christian Bale, which, by the way, is still the best Batman, <laughs> is, you know, figures out that obviously there's going to be a crisis. And the way he figures this out is, you know, he's, uh, this is great scene when he's lying exhausted, you know, lying mm. on the floor reading all of these documents. And he's like, reading these documents, getting the data out, and he actually figures this out, right? It's a great scene. And no, no one else bothered to read these documents, right? And, and I think we, we actually had a really live situation here at Eigen this was maybe about a couple quarters ago, and people remember maybe the Greensill bankruptcy. At the time, it was one of the largest bankruptcies in Europe that year. I think this was 2020, 2021. My mind is a bit foggy about that. And they went bankrupt on a Monday. Yeah. On two, uh, this was a bank, right? They went bankrupt mm-hmm. on Monday. On, on Tuesday, they, the law firms and the creditors reached out to us 
about, hey, we have these pile of loans that we need to understand what to do with. Is this still worth anything? What are we going to do here? On Wednesday, we ran a proof of concept. On Thursday, we signed the deal. And what's really cool in terms of you know understanding who's wearing a bathing suit is on Friday afternoon, our, our clients, you know, who of, of the sort of sure. are representing sort of the creditors, uploaded all of these documents. You know, these are trade finance documents that no one's ever seen before, right? In into our platform, taught the machine on how to analyze them, and then on 12, less than twelve hours later, on Saturday morning. The machine answered 200,000 questions at 98.7% accuracy. Wow. And the alternative, and we basically got the data out to all the creditors. Right. Right. The alternative would have been 30 lawyers in six weeks. Wow. And, you know, the creditors would have probably lost a lot more money, probably hundreds of millions of dollars more, because as you know, in a bankruptcy situation, every second counts. So I think for us, it's particularly relevant now, I think, as we're going through a time of, dare I say, you know, banking instability that people really truly understand you know like exactly how much their products are worth what is going on within their products and by the way a lot of that i would say maybe 50 percent of all 60 percent of all that information like people don't have that and that's all stuck in their documents right it's all paper and it needs to be yep. moved out and and that's that's where we're going to be seeing you know, a lot of this. Day. What what should before before we leave? And I know we only have a limited amount of time, but you know, outside of LLMs, we've we've given a lot of space today. Obviously, it's a hot thing. What should business leaders be looking for in technology to solve this problem? You know, going over the next five years. I think one of the biggest things that business leaders need to think about are you know a, a balance between compliance and privacy. That's one area. Right. I, and I think especially in, in, in banking space, I think that's going to become even more crucial, given the fact that, you know, the governments are giving bailouts right? and the public will demand that. So compliance and privacy and the balance between that, making sure that, you know, we're, we're staying with the times. Right. So making sure that. You know, we recognize there is, you know, there's many new types of flavors. There are many new types of flavors of technology out there that, you know, you can deploy, right? Mm-hmm. And which, again, is a somewhat attention with compliance and privacy, right. but, you know, that's why it's a balance. And the third thing to balance is around sort of targeted use cases, right? right? And what I mean by that is oftentimes we see in RFPs, business leader, technology buyers will want the whole, literally put, throw everything into an RFP. And, and at the end of the day, we're asking them, what problem are you solving? They're like, oh, we're going to solve all problems. But in reality, you know, especially this time, you need to prioritize what problems you're solving when you buy technology, right? So it's, it's really a combination of let's use new tech. Mm-hmm. At the same time, make sure you're compliant and respect privacy. At the same time, making sure you're targeting enough you know, and what you're buying. Right, right, right. For a very, very specific task. Yeah. Lewis, Lewis, really appreciate you being on the program with us this week to, to see some light here. And I think this has been a very enlightening conversation, especially, you know, just sorting through a lot of, a lot of the hype out there for certain technologies in a way that, that, that I think business leaders can really wrap their heads around. Thank you so much. And, and we Thank really you, appreciate it. Wrapping up today's episode, what Lewis is saying about 
knowing your position in real time is really going to be a game changer for how banks not only operate, but I really feel in my background from from policy and in the media, how they relate to the broader public. We try to put a real sober lens on where we're seeing hype from these technologies on this program, but that's just one spot where the possibilities are really exciting and that excitement as as far as as we can tell is completely warranted on behalf of daniel and the entire team here at emerge thanks so much for joining us today and we'll catch you next time on the ai and financial services podcast